Welcome to the Football Ramble. European football is back and Ika Casillas hangs up his gloves. It's Thursday the 6th of August. I'm Jules Breach. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Pete Donaldson. Well, after a minuscule, what was it, 24-hour break in the football calendar, <laughs> we now have a festival on the way. Yeah. 26 European games in the space of around 19 days. I'm quite excited about this, actually, because I feel like even though we had that really long period with the Premier League and the games being on near enough every day and obviously the championship being back and all the excitement of the playoffs... I feel like this really is the replacement for the Euros now because there's nothing better than like Mm. a knockout kind of competition in the summer, is there? Absolutely. And uh, that was the last worst 22 and a half hours of my life or (laughs) or whatever it was. But but it's over now and it feels like we're, we're being eased into it a little bit, doesn't it? Because some of these games, of course, are pretty throwaway, like the Manchester United one. I think Kate described it yesterday as... uh, a quite annoying game to have to play or something along those lines. And it, 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 it's, it's absolutely right. I'm sure Bayern feel the same about Chelsea uh, before playing them at the weekend. Um, but some of these games have loads riding on them. And already we've got to those games in the Europa League where the first leg didn't take place in the last 16 tie. So it's a, a one-off on neutral territory, which uh, I think is pretty exciting. Yeah, there's your weird Super League. This is what it's going to look like. <laughs> I hope you're happy. <laughs> what a sad little life, Jane. <laughs> the decorum of a reversing dump truck. (laughs) (laughs) The best. Um, Well, let's talk about the Europa League returning last night. As you say, Andy, the the first game to talk about really is that slightly pointless Manchester United-Lask match, which finished 2-1, so 7-1 win on aggregate. No surprise, really, that United are through to the quarterfinals. Yeah, and the the problem is with this, I I watched the highlights of it later, but I started with good intentions Mm. of watching Inter Getafe on the the main screen and having... Um, United Lask on the iPad. And you know what? Because, like you said, Jules, you, you feel that compulsion to watch sport the whole bloody time now. I was like, this is a waste of time. I'm going to play pedal. I feel this is a waste <laughs> of time. I, I stuck the NBA on my second screen. In oh. there. Did you? Because it a- actually counts. It actually yeah. counts. Yeah. What was happening in that? Um, they're the, on, on Disneyland rides. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they've been doing a lot of water slides, haven't they? And yeah. stuff on their, on their day off. <laughs> That sounds fun. It is fun. Okay, are they, some are, of that. Are they not running any of the actual mechanical rides for the um, the gigantic men of the NBA? I, 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 I don't think so. Can you be too high to ride rides? <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean, my... I'm normally not tall enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Hat. I don't know if your, Big head, your head scrapes a cloud or magic mountain <laughs> or, or, or something like that. I mean, my kids were saying the other day that, that I mean, they obviously love the idea of being stuck in a closed tournament bubble yeah. at Disney. Oh, I mean, yeah. may- maybe this is something they could do for the Europa League to liven it up next yeah. year. But like they were saying, you know, Dad, for the teams that are eliminated, mm. so the, the, the teams that didn't get invited because they had no chance of making the playoffs, so like Golden State Warriors, New York Knicks, um, Atlanta Hawks, et cetera, et cetera, they were saying they should invite them for a day to play on the rides with the other people because they don't feel they should be left out. Mm-hmm. I, which look, I, that I, is the best sweet. sports-based we suggestion I've heard all month, quite uh, frankly. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Communion at the moment. <laughs> it is. It's about pulling together and eating a lot of bloody candy floss, quite frankly. Out in America, getting a pizza though, that's in the shape of Mickey Mouse's head. Yes. Which, which hopefully they're getting. I, I remember the last time I went to theme park in America, you get those huge legs of meat. 
Do you know what I mean? Oh, like a, in a medieval kind yeah. of. Because they love medieval they kind of. giant. Really? Do you, not, do you not know what I mean? No. Not really. <laughs> you just walk around Disneyland again. The way you're looking at me. Like you're crazy trust me, trust me, you can buy, I don't know what meat it is, I can't remember, I should know, but uh, it's basically you just buy a, a giant leg and, and you just <laughs> walk, walk around, around with this it. huge piece of meat on a stick. That, that to me doesn't feel away. very family friendly. No. <laughs> you're walking about like a Neanderthal <laughs> around loads of kids going, <laughs> I want right. something's flesh. <laughs> yeah, and most of the animals are like, you know, they're walking around as animals. You've got mice, you got, it could have been Goofy's leg. <laughs> you know, Raphael Honigstein once told me that um, when he went to Disney with his, his his family, that in the main restaurant there, like when you finish your dinner, there's like a gutter in the middle where the <laughs> waiters take away the food and scrape it off into this gutter. Right. It sounded the most rank thing. That's, that, that's got to go straight into it. They're probably using it for like pig feed or something like that. Do they have pigs in, 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 in Disneyland? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, they, they must have livestock, surely. Probably. Where do they get the legs for you to chop <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the football then from last night. There's a few little side stories in the Manchester United game. First of all, I think that the team that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer put out, there was some conversations around whether or not anyone would play their way into the starting 11 for the next game, which mm. will be the quarterfinal against Copenhagen. Um and, and whether or not any of those players that he gave a chance last night could get themselves into the starting eleven for the quarterfinal. Do you think any of them did, Andy? Do you think, uh, what do you think of Jesse Lingard's performance? Because he seemed to be the one people were talking about. It, it, it was good, but I wouldn't have thought there was anyone who really presented an overwhelming case to, to be put in. I mean, how even if they'd have won 5-0, how can you judge anything on, mm. on, on, a, on, a, on a game like this? Because... No, it's just basically a, a, a cruise through. Um, of, of course, last came to play for Pride, and I thought they did that pretty well. Um, that a great goal, wasn't it? It was amazing, and um, you know they had a pretty difficult end to the season because um, they were top of the Austrian league, and then basically they trained when you weren't allowed to because of coronavirus restrictions. Collectively trained, right. they got docked a load of points, Naughty. fell off the top of the league. And they never really recovered from that. And Valerian Ishmael, the former, I always call, call him former Crystal Palace legend. I call him that because he played four games with Crystal Palace. He had by far his worst one against Wimbledon, which helped them win 3-0 at Selhurst Park against Palace at the time. Anyway, he was really good for Bayern and um, Werder Bremen as, as, as Went on as well. to better things. He did indeed. Um, but and yeah, and he, he, ended up, he ended up getting sacked. So they had a different coach for the second leg the, 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 the first leg um, but really it's, it's all about the fact that um, you know United just had to as Kate was saying sort of had to fulfil this clause mm. really of, of playing this game I think the biggest take home from this and yeah it's, it's, it's nice that we can see Lingard who I understand has had quite a difficult time personally to, to, to get to play again and you know maybe to get some minutes later in the in the, in the competition because as you say it's going to be a lot of a turnover of games if, if, if they go further pretty quickly um, I think the biggest take home from this is the fact that Bajic Shahir didn't make it into the quarterfinal with them because that's the one that I think a lot of us would have expected they've just become the champions of Turkey and um, Copenhagen it's of course they're experienced in European competition but United are looking at that and saying yes please yes absolutely that's two legs they could. Uh, that's that's at least one leg they can. Uh, <laughs> Not my meat leg. Yeah, very, they can, they can <laughs> grease, from the meaty leg. They can grease their way through that leg. 
Um, another thing is that um, we saw Mengzi get his debut last night for Manchester mm. United. And I know that a lot of United fans are really excited to see more youngsters getting their opportunity in the first team. Eight academy graduates have now made their first team debut this season alone, which is mm. quite extraordinary, actually. And it's a massive deal for Manchester United. I mean, bear in mind that when they got rid of Danny Welbeck, even though the sporting decision to get rid of Danny Welbeck was a, a pretty sound one at the time, there was quite a lot of angst from a lot of United fans in that we need someone from Manchester mm. in, our, in our team. It yeah. is an absolutely huge deal to them. Especially because their neighbours are very different <laughs> in their middle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, so as we said, Manchester United are going to play Copenhagen in the quarter final. Can you see United going all the way in this competition, Pete? Um, yeah, I really can. <laughs> I really can. I mean, who 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 would you sort of uh, say would you know? Would Wolves be getting will be difficult them? for them if they they can meet in the semi final, can't they? I they, think? they they can. I I tend to think it will be a severe United semi, which would be like immense. I think because. You know, it's, it's Sevilla's competition, isn't it? Really, you know, they're, they're a, a team that's very, very good in this this competition. They've 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 changed the history of it, and they've had a really good season as well. They were terrific after the resumption, and that's the thing. When you look at the form of teams, you you, you can only really go back to to June, really, can't you? And and, and work on this little mini sample. Um, but they've been terrific. Uh, Julian Lopetegui's really revived his reputation. Now, I think that would be a really like. Sorry to go back to the meat again, but meaty <laughs> final, semi-final to get to get our teeth into. Mm. Even though obviously a lot of people are hoping for the Wolves United one. I'm backing into though. I'm backing into. Are you? Yeah. So they won last night as well, two 0 over Getafe. They play Leverkusen or Rangers in their quarter-final. Mm. Uh, that match is tonight, and Leverkusen take a three-one lead into that one from the first leg. Leverkusen are going to get through, aren't they? They'll play Inter. Yeah, they should do. And I think the interesting thing about the, the way this tournament's been. Uh, realigned is the fact that Leverkusen are basically almost playing at home. You know, if if they end up getting to the final, it's like 15 minutes down the road from from them in Cologne. So um, it's a really great opportunity for them. As stands, they've still got Kai Havertz, which is is, is quite a big deal. Mm. And they're called Neverkusen in Germany for a reason because they haven't won a title since 1992. <laughs> so for for them to to win a trophy is a is a really big deal. But I, I take Pete's point about about Inter absolutely because um, they were really scruffy for the first 25 30 minutes of this game against Getafe, um, who we know can make it difficult, and they're right sort of. There's no other word apart from shit houses, really. <laughs> that that is what they're like. They are they are different. You're shit houses. They very much are that. Mm. And um, you know, Inter, I think, kept their nerve, especially with all the stuff that's gone on with Antonio Conte in recent days, with speculation He's so over angry. his future. All <laughs> and the time. So tanned as well. <laughs> no, I've that's fury. Seen, I've never seen a tanned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's gone so red. He's gone. Red. <laughs> <laughs> What I, I, the thing is, I, the thing that I loved so much about his rant after their game against Atalanta, which is given. Um, did you just say this, rant? I, I did say that was really posh. Rant. I thought you said run, 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 rant. <laughs> that was the poshest way rant. of saying his rant. Rant. A rant. Rant. That was I'm, I'm, super I'm, posh, Andy. I'm, I'm not from the north. <laughs> I'm simply not from the north. I know you guys have both got that covered <laughs> today. Bit. Yeah, but but yeah. I, Happy Jamaican Independence Day, by Thank the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's it. also my mum and dad's wedding anniversary today. They didn't oh, plan that. They didn't really? plan that. Party time. That's a coincidence. Day. Just a coincidence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, uh, the thing I like so much about Antonio Conte's outburst 
There we go. Is that, <laughs> is that um, the, on the end of it, he knew what people were going to say. So when he said, oh, the, the, the club and the directors have dumped, dumped a ton of shit on me and the players and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and they came out and said, look, it's nothing to do with transfers because that was going to be the first comeback. Yeah. And he, he can't say it's anything to do with transfers because they've given him really everything he wants. I mean, yeah. you know, you look at Lukaku's opening goal against Getafe, which is extremely high quality. He's 30th of the season. He's had just such a brilliant season. Then Christian Eriksen comes on to <laughs> score one later, which is an ultimate luxury. You look at the fact that Alexis Sanchez He's signing, is signed he? now, yeah. um, uh, which which is not a cheap deal by any stretch of the imagination. The fact that um, they've already got Ashraf Hakimi for next season. He can't complain about what they've given him. But you have to respect his commitment to find something to have a row about. Well, he did, he in in most of his jobs, he's sort of won something the first season or so, hasn't yeah. he? So this this this, this, this it, it's not unknown for him to. I I I really do think Inter Milan will uh, win that particular competition. How do you summarize into season though, Andy? Because it's been from what I've been reading from the Inter fans is that they're actually disappointed that they didn't give Juventus more of a title race because in the end, obviously, they only finished a point behind Juve mm, in mm. the league. But that's because Juve eased up in the last couple of games. They did, yeah. they yeah. did. But you, you feel, you sense that they, they, they see this as an opportunity missed this season. Yeah, I think so because there's a feeling that Juventus were weaker than in previous seasons under Maurizio Sarri, and I, I think that's that's fair. Um, I think really the biggest achievement of Sarri's season is that you know Juventus brought him in so they would be more entertaining I don't think they intended by being more entertaining by conceding more goals and losing more games <laughs> but that's the way it, 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 it turned out in the end but I, th- I think the the bit that did for for Inter really was just before I, I suppose you could say either side of, of the hiatus but they just dropped a few points and especially at the start of 2020 a few too many draws that sort of uh, got them like sort of pulled back by the by the pack, really. But like Pete was saying, you expect Conte to work his magic in that first season and get them to the title somehow, and it, it didn't quite happen. And I guess people look at Juventus and look at their their habits and the way they run and think, well, well they're not going to allow anyone this close again for a while. Which, I mean, we don't really know in this in this environment. And before they buy players, they're going to have to flog a few because they've got this absolutely heinous wage bill that they can't really support in in this current environment. In fact, they couldn't support in the previous environment. Um, so they've, they've got a little bit of work to do. But I understand when a team like Juventus or Bayern have a close scrape, everyone does have that gulp and think, oh, shit, they're not going to let anyone get close again for a while. Yeah, well, mm. we'd probably say then in agreement in this room that Inter, Manchester United, probably the two favourites uh, for the competition. But what about the others? How much of a chance do we give Wolves? They, of course, face Olympiacos tonight. It was a one-all draw in the first leg of this one. And a shout-out to Wolves and Nuno for this season, which started 379 days ago. Oh, my God. too long. It's ridiculous. (laughs) That is empirically too long. It's incredible, really, when you think about how many, how, many, <laughs> how many games they've had to play this season mm. to get to this point and it's still not over. Mm. And they're, they're still in there with a, with a chance as well. That's the amazing thing. I mean, I think because of the size of Wolves squad, uh, as Pete was saying, you did expect them to get to that when you go through um, Europa League qualifiers. You expect them to get to that wall in like November, December. And they're like, yeah, we can't. You know, the bottom drops out of it physically. But they are so well conditioned. It's 
unbelievable. I mean, are they the fittest team in the Premier League? They, they can't be far off, right? Mm. Bit of luck as well, though. I mean, that, that, that goes a long way. A yeah. Bit of luck. So. Yeah. <laughs> I said it really quick. I, was like, I, I, I get a lot of blank faces when I'm in shops. Can I have, uh, can I have a Coke, please? A Coca-Cola. <laughs> I'm sorry, a Coca-Cola. Um, yeah. Olympiacos knocked Arsenal out in the previous round. Yeah. They'll take a lot of joy knocking out another Premier League team. What, what is it about other teams in Europe just getting in that extra bit of buzz knocking out a Premier League team? Well, I, th- I think it's, it's slightly different as well when you go to like a, an Emirates or something like that. I mean, like, Olympiacos were, you know, that, that they, were, they were partying in the corridors. I was, I was at the Emirates that night and they were partying in the corridors for like an hour afterwards. <laughs> they, 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 they absolutely loved it. Really? Um, but that, they were really good that night, I think. Olympiacos quite underrated under Pedro Martins, their uh, Portuguese coach. They've come back to a point where you expect them to be the dominant team in Greece and they haven't been for a couple of years and <clears throat> they've won the league with something to spare this time. They've got good experience in there, which I think is something that really matters as well. So I don't think Wolves can take anything for granted. I would expect them just about to get through this because you talked about them winning at Arsenal. That was the moment that I thought, wow, Arteta's got a job here because that was an Unai Emery Arsenal type performance yeah. that they, they gave that night. Um, but are, you know, obviously Arsenal have come, come quite a, such a long way since then. It's, it's a different issue. But um, you know, Olympiacos are, are relatively reliable in Europe. I, I, I don't think you take it for granted at all. If you, you think like going all those way, all, all that time back to what October, you know, they could have won at Spurs as well in the Champions League. You know, they're they winning there by a couple of goals before Spurs mm. came back. So. Mm. Not to be taken for granted. Also, Sevilla, Roma, you've already talked, Andy, about um, Sevilla being, will be quite a threat in this competition if they face Manchester United in the semi-final. Yeah. They take on Roma tonight. They've won the competition five times in the last 15 years. What do you give Roma's chances of beating them, though? I think it's going to be tough for Roma. Um, I mean, they've got quite a, a young team pinned together by a few experienced players, uh, like Edin Dzeko, um, Chris Smalling obviously was one of those and he's he's gone back now which is a, a massive blow to them I think because he obviously wanted to stay as much as Roma wanted to keep him and um, in fact when the Roma directors said when him and uh, Zappacosta went back you know we, we loved working with you guys and hopefully we'll get to work with you again in the future obviously knowing that something's going to happen because Roma have been taken over this, <laughs> this morning the club's, the club's been sold right. th- th- this morning it's finally been bought by the, the Friedkin group so they're hoping to have a, a few more quid because they've been suffering a bit financially over the last little while that, for, in- for this tie though I, d- I do think there's too big a gap mm. it does get quite exciting this last bit of the Europa League doesn't it because the Europa League as a competition is quite often criticised isn't it oh no one wants to play in the Europa League oh you've got to start your season so early but actually when it gets to this kind of stage mm. and further further on into it it gets really exciting there's some really good teams in it Pete well especially this time around as well there's just more focus on it and we are gagging for more football inexplicably yeah. even though we've had a big a big football <laughs> I was going to say dump, like, 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 like a data blast. A data blast of football for I've definitely not had a big football dump. Before. <laughs> 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 um, let's talk a bit about something off the pitch, something that's uh, always quite nice to see. Unlikely friendships formed in football. And mm. I call it an unlikely friendship, even though they are teammates. Dejan Lovren and Mo Salah. Right. We've got a bit of a bromance going on. What's what's happening? What's they, happening? Just they, they just love each other. They just love each other so much. And I feel like, I don't know whether I just missed this over the last, how long they played together? Three seasons Mo Salah's mm. been at Liverpool mm. now. Lovren been there, was there for five seasons. 
I didn't know about this until Lovren's left. Yeah. I didn't know they were they were best mates. It's sort of dear John letters. We've got to break up. I'll see you I soon. Oh, it's quite cute, really, isn't I, I, it? I quite enjoyed their FaceTiming. It was, yeah. it was on the, the, the Zenit social media, wasn't it? When, uh, <laughs> Why did they choose to film that? It looked a bit set up to me. It was rather intrusive, I thought, <laughs> yeah. on, on what can only be described as an intimate moment. But that bit where Lovren goes, you know, you know, Mo, I was at the airport. And do you know who's waiting as, as well behind all the fans? A bear. And I was like, really? Yeah, there wasn't. Really? There wasn't a bloody bear. Somebody could have brought a bear along. What, a fake one? Well, no, just a, just a you know, somebody, if you own a bear, you're showing it off. <laughs> Every time there's a little um, a little uh, holiday sort of party up in uh, Highgate, the guy who owns a reindeer inexplicably turns it up with it. <laughs> Why, the guy you, owns you, a reindeer? Yeah, and he, he turns up with the yeah, he turns up with it and, and the kids look at it. I haven't seen him in a few years, to be fair, so... Maybe it, maybe it died. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe it's now sausages. Ma- ma- maybe, maybe the guy died. And, maybe the guy uh, died. <laughs> and the reindeer lives in a massive house in Highgate, yes! all on his own. Lovely old he's, he's sitting there watching Europa League, smoking cigarettes, <laughs> drinking high class whiskey. I'd love to see. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see a reindeer full antlers with um, uh, a cigarette on every end. <laughs> like Mauricio Sarri. Oh, what like when Joe Perry's playing live with yes! Aerosmith? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Lauren also commented on Mo Salah's new haircut. Mm. He does look quite different with less of a fro, doesn't he? It's. It reminds me of. I'm going to bring in wrestling here. They tried to make Ric Flair in the uh, uh, early '90s look younger by giving him like a ball cut, <laughs> but he always looked like a 50 year old man, and it just made him look <laughs> older. So I think it just makes him look older, to be honest. Do you think? Yeah, I think he looks quite sharp. Yeah. He was complaining about how expensive his haircut was. I'd love to know how much it was. How much do you pay for your haircut, Andy? Um, are you an expensive haircut man, or are you a, a cheap barber's boy? No. <laughs> Are you a cheap barber's boy. Somewhere in the middle. I, I don't. I don't want to sell myself out and sort of put myself forward to be like caned on social media for my. And you've got a really over nice the top set. grooming habits. <laughs> Taking fold out your kids' mouths for no, your fancy do. I, actually, it's it's, it's it's funny. Actually, I get a, a slightly better haircut than I pay for right. because the gentleman. Hello, Miguel. Who uh, used to run Miguel the... Delaney? Miguel Delaney does <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow! <laughs> Who used to run the um, the the salon at, at the end of my street? He he went freelance and he just goes to people's houses and freelance barber. Absolute <laughs> boss move. <laughs> boss move. And, um, yes. Yeah, so uh, you know, you, you get to watch telly while he's cutting your hair. You get to watch a bit of NBA. Turn over the television, my girl. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, is yours a DIY job? It's a, how dare you! <laughs> how dare you! Because I criticised you. My meat. Weird meat, meat. Is, that, is that keto? Is that a keto diet? I don't know. It's a caveman diet, isn't it? Yeah. Just how do I criticise your, your weird caveman. How much did this bleach job cost you then? The bleach job cost me £7 from boots that I did myself. There we because go. Because I was getting into kind of man bun territory. And then I went to Mr. Topper's and I paid 10 quid for a haircut. Uh, and it's cash only. And uh, <laughs> not and very so, pandemic friendly, yeah. is it? Always dodgy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Mr. Toppers is very on the level, I have to say. Uh, so they always get a good, they always get a good tip. So I always give them a five a tip because it's Mr. Toppers, and you, 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 with those kind of systems, they, they've just got um, spare chairs, don't they? And you sit down and you, you, you lay out all your stuff. But there's new rules of Mr. Toppers. You can't put your mobile phone on the side. You can't set up your NBA iPad to watch. <laughs> <laughs> your tip's nearly as expensive as the actual job. I know. Yeah, I did. I did those myself. It's very kind of you. I, I think oh, yeah. The, the, yes, it is. Thank you. 
the, the, the interesting thing is that lockdown has made me feel like I want a haircut every day. You know, like right, footballers yeah. like mm. have their haircut all the time. Yeah. If you've ever spent any time in like footballers hotels or anything like that they're always getting their hair cut have they always, always. Have they always got, I've spent a lot of time in hotels for football but uh, like on their um, on their shoulder have they always got like little bits of hair on their shoulders like you know like you know when you get your hair cut and you've always got like oh, hairs that. just get everywhere don't oh, they oh I thought you were talking about having a lot of body hair oh no oh no, than... god no hairless footballers are hairless aren't they every last one of them they well, wax a, a lot apparently that was that was quite an undertaking for Luis Figo because really him who's obviously a very glamorous man mm. and his very glamorous wife they did um, an advertising campaign for I, I think it was Calvin Klein mm. many years ago and despite Portuguese gentlemen generally being quite pursued. <laughs> yeah all the, fo- all, all the focus group said it was too much yeah and, it's and too he, much. He, he had to get waxed too much hair and that must have oh. that must have hurt man I'm not a fan of a rug who got <laughs> <laughs> who got <laughs> I'm so sorry <laughs> Who got the like? They, did they do it all in one kind of like? Put, I'm just ignoring exactly what, what all that, that nonsense over there. Um, but like, <laughs> did they pull the whole suit off in one? Does somebody own that suit in full, like a big hairy suit? Yeah, big hairy suit, like a big Sasquatch suit that you could put on, wear around. <laughs> I don't know, but I would love to believe that's the case. Yeah, right. I'm Fantastic. crying. It's time right. for a break. <laughs> You're listening to the Football Ramble this Thursday with me, Jules. I'm here with Andy Brassel and Pete Donaldson. Now, there was a quite a big news story yesterday in the Premier League. Arsenal yesterday became the first Premier League club to announce major job losses. Let me just summarise exactly where this story is at today. So despite a 12.5% pay cut from Mikel Arteta and the Arsenal's first team players back in April, as well as the executive team waiving more than a third of their wages over the next 12 months, the club say they're now facing more significant and longer lasting reductions in their revenue than they all hoped. So the club are now planning to make 55 members of staff redundant. Those redundancies will come in all three of these departments, football, commercial and administration, but with the majority coming in the commercial and administration departments. Um, guys, we, we know how seriously and severely the coronavirus pandemic has affected all sorts of businesses financially. And we've been talking for months now about the impact the break in football and the change in circumstances will have on football clubs up and down the football pyramid. But when this was announced yesterday... Was it just that little bit more surprising, Pete, because it's a Premier League club? Um, because it's a Premier League club that uh, I think um, PR-wise kind of trades off being a big community uh, in, in, invested club. And, and obviously, you know, you, every advert for, 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 for Arsenal this, is this kind of, you know, you've, you've got right in a double-breasted suit strolling down Holloway Road and you've got, you know, kids dripping in, um, in the club shop, um, you know. Outside Casey's chicken on Holloway Road, going, you know, <laughs> we're N seven, we are, you know, we are the Arsenal, we are, we're not like the others. Um, so it is disappointing to see members of the community um, losing losing their jobs, and you know, they're owned by Stan Crunker, and 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 people have very very strong opinions, particularly the people of St Louis, uh, who obviously um, lost a franchise uh, not that long ago uh, after being very successful. Um, he, you know, Stan Crocker's company came back into the uh, after taking the 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 the, the, the um, taking the team away 
um, uh, and leaving the, the the community with 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 a fairly hefty uh, tax bill, um, <laughs> can sort of set up some kind of regeneration project and and ask for tax breaks on that as well. He is a businessman. Uh, that you know, that's how big business uh, kind of works. You don't become a man worth ten billion dollars. Um, easily. Well, well, you do. You marry into it, which is what he did. But what, <laughs> <laughs> you go to Aspen in Colorado and meet a woman uh, at, a, at a ski resort. That's how you... But what I'm saying is, <laughs> I don't know what, what Arsenal's specific situation is, but in many businesses, um, I think PR-wise, execs, uh, uh, you know, um, income on an executive level, the salary cuts, uh, salary isn't the biggest part of their income. It's 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 stock and it's shares and, and stuff like that. So I do, I do sort of see where the the, the footballers and and Arsenal's uh, footballers in in point uh, why they're annoyed about taking that 12 percent pay cut and then seeing so many um, staff um, b- b- being being cut. Um, execs in a lot of companies, and I'm not saying this is an Arsenal situation, but execs in a lot of companies, uh, ITV have done it, and the people who are on the mirror, uh, the Prudential, I think, as well, um, they, they, they take their pay cut because they saw what happened in 2009 and ha- what a big PR loss it was to retain a, a massive salary mm. as, as a CEO or a CFO or a, or a, or a big, big earner uh, at a organisation. Uh, they take their pay cuts, but but there are you know incentive-based um, uh, stock agreements that, that that come into play, you know, five years down the line once the market has recovered. So I would be, I'd be less sort of interested in what the executive kind of branch branch of uh, of Arsenal are doing. But I would be, if I was a footballer and I've taken a twelve point five percent pay cut in the grand scheme of things, not a huge outlay when it comes to you know a, 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 a club like Arsenal. Uh, and then and then seeing all of the colleagues that I've worked with for the past five years. Um, but, but being chucked, it, yeah, it's a dreadful look. I don't, I don't think there's any getting away from that. Um, but I, th- I think there's kind of two sides of this. Firstly, it really puts Meza Özil's decision not to take the cut into perspective because mm. as someone, I think pe- some people have looked at this the wrong way around. Just mm. that he's tight, he wants to sit on his massive contract, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, whereas th- that's never the reality. Mm. I think, like a lot of footballers out there, he wants to know that if he's giving something up he wants to know where it's going mm. I think there's quite a, lo- a load of self-determination involved in that and yeah. there's someone who is experienced in being a philanthropist and um, giving a lot to good causes and, and, and charitable projects mm. he wants to know where the money's going which there's I don't think is unreasonable there's a level of trust isn't there yeah, yeah and that it, to be there. C- clearly that trust has been breached for a, a lot of those players who, who feel they've given something up and it's not gone to help the people they thought they would but you know, there, there are two sides of this because, of course, there are the, the, the people who absolutely should be protected, like the, the, the stadium staff, the, the match day staff. Mm. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying anyone who's getting made redundant is, deserves it. But I think from just getting away from the community aspect of it, the thing that I think should worry most Arsenal fans is the fact that basically getting rid of a huge part of the the scouting department Mm. because they're going to an agent-led recruitment model. Now, I I know some people will defend their club to the ends of the earth no matter what they're doing. And, you know, I know this is something you've thought about quite a lot with the Newcastle United Mm. thing recently, Pete. But the response that I've seen from some Arsenal fans on social media would have said, oh, well, this, this is how you sign players these days. It's agents. It's not scouting. It's like, 
Come on, man. If, if, it's not, if, how, you, it's, it's if not how you make any money. Uh, you know, you, you don't yeah. sign players cheap doing that. No, That's no. And, and the idea that, that like, you know, it's, it's the only way you get top players. It's like, well, are Arsenal really getting any A-plus elite players nowadays anyway? No. With the position they're in? No, they're not. For what? a start, they have to be, they have to be smarter. And just being, just letting your agents do the scouting for you is, is, is just a money drain. It's, what, it's crazy. What you're referring to there, Andy, uh, just to be specific, is that one of the people supposedly losing their job is the head of international scouting, Francis Kajigal, um, and also Peter Clark, who's head of UK scouting, and Brian McDermott are also reported to be amongst those losing yeah. their jobs. Uh, with regards to Francis, he'd been at the club for two decades. He found the likes of Cesc Fabregas, Hector mm. Bellerin and Martinelli as well. So as you say, this is they're losing a huge part of, of the club as well as all of the other members of staff that you've already mentioned. And you've got to be smart with the sort of budgetary um, constraints that Arsenal are saying that they have to run the business nowadays. I mean, if you're an Arsenal fan, who, who, do, who do you want? I, I'm, maybe it's a bit simplistic boiling it down to... The, these two players but do you want a Martinelli or do you want a Willian I'm, I'm not saying Willian's not a, a great player like the guys were saying yesterday um, you know he's, he's he's still a terrific Premier League player but investing that much in, in, in a 31 year old 31 yeah okay. it, it seems like a luxury they can ill afford at, at, at this moment uh, in time is modern football just on built on different metrics nowadays you know, uh, uh, image and uh, marketing deals and stuff like that. Does that not come into it a little bit more so that they can play more than sporting success? Like yeah. You mean? Well, th there's an argument for that, isn't there? Mm. Um, but I, I, I don't know. If if I was an Arsenal fan, I would be more and more concerned about that. I, I would be more and more concerned that maybe the sporting success of this operation doesn't really matter to the but, owners but that, that that's been that's been leveled at, at the owners before and, and it is sad but I, I do think anybody who is working for any company uh, needs to be cognizant of the fact I think that um, big business and I'm not saying this is what Arsenal are doing that they will be making decisions that they've wanted to do to to do for a very long time uh, under uh, this cloud of, of 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 making tough decisions under COVID, yeah. companies yeah. do this all the time, and that and that's how I'm I'm constantly surprised why um, we have to why we regard football as being kind of somehow different to every other business. I, I happen to believe it is because because they do sell we do sell our, our clubs as being a, 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 a community kind of a process hub. and a community hub mm. uh, for everyone but I'd, I'd never understand why that well I do understand it but it's because um, there's a lot of um, young black millionaires uh, kicking a football around I think that's 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 kind of why that hits the front page that's why that sticks in the craw because they're making all of that that money and there's so much money in the game you know who are the guys signing the checks they're, 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 they're the guys who, who've got all the cash as, as, um, as Chris Rock once 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 uh, very uh, uh, interestingly uh, pointed out. So yeah, it's 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 it, it's only I, I think the 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 the, the stink that's getting kicked up about Arsenal right now is a positive uh, one simply because other teams will find it more difficult to do it. Aston Villa at the start of the COVID epidemic basically said we will have to make changes and that is understandable at, with a club at their level, but. Uh, I would say that any, I think they did a study in like 2016, 2017, and they sort of worked out that most Premier League clubs would would make a, still a tidy and handsome profit if they played no uh, matches in front of anybody. If, if, if they just, you know, went on TV uh, revenue and stuff like that, because TV is such a big part of the game. Well, the Arsenal fans have had their say. In a statement, the Arsenal supporters trust said that it had hoped the players' wages cuts 
would be used to ensure all Arsenal staff are looked after in mm. these difficult times. The statement also added that it would be contacting the club to make sure that the staff let go are given as much support as possible. Andy, I remember earlier on in the season, right at the start of the pandemic, when uh, Spurs and Liverpool reversed their controversial decisions due to their fans protesting fiercely against um, the putting their non-playing staff on furlough, that was then reversed, wasn't it? Mm. Can you see the same thing happening here with Arsenal if the fans uh, disagree with it? Oh, I, would, I would hope so. I would really hope so. I, I think that would be a really positive thing. And I, I think we've seen that for the first time, actually, and we talk about stuff being done under the um, cover of pandemic, and I think Pete's quite right to point that out. I think something that has been quite positive, not just footballers showing determination in terms of what they want to do uh, philanthrop for philanthropy and and charity and giving back to the community, but that fans have started to realise the power they've got, and that's mm. something that we've we've seen a couple of times. And I, I'd love it if if Arsenal fans. Um, if, if Arsenal fans had their had their say continually and the, and, the, and the club reacted to that. In terms of the scouting department going, that's clearly something that they wanted to do anyway. I, I don't think that's really going to affect that, you know? And like I said, I, I, I would find that quite hard to, to live with as a fan. I think that's very risk inherent and it wouldn't make me feel good about the, the sporting future of the club. But personally speaking as a fan, I think the way the club behaves in the community and to its employees in terms of looking after them, in terms of helping them through this difficult time is just as important as what happens in a sporting sense. All right. Well, I'm sure this is just the beginning of this story. So we move from that and to the end of someone's story in football. And that's Ika Casillas, an absolute legend of the game, was announced this week that He's retiring. He's hanging up his gloves. 725 appearances for Real Madrid over 16 years. He won three Champions Leagues, five La Liga titles. He also won the World Cup uh, in 2010 and he won the Euros twice, 2008 and 2012. Quite an incredible story, particularly after his health issues last year. He well, no wonder he's got him, blummin' heck. Yeah. <laughs> that is a job. <laughs> it is. He hasn't played since April 2019 when he suffered a heart attack and he was a coach at the club too. Mm. An incredible career and, I mean, wow, what a guy. What a guy. Yeah, and he's he's, he's just so loved everywhere. It's, it's interesting, actually. I think we, we remember so many of the absolute elite high points of, of, of his career. Like, you know, I think you think of him helping Real Madrid to win the Champions League in really unusual circumstances in 2002 when he was still a kid uh, at Hampden Park against Leverkusen and so many other great moments. I think Miguel Delaney, actually, um, in between cutting hair, pointed out uh, <laughs> uh, earlier, earlier this week about um, how he was... The, the key player of the 2010 World Cup final. Yeah. Th those saves from Robin were absolutely mm. key. We think of the beauty of the Iniesta goal, but you know Spain really chipped their way to that world champion mm. title, didn't they, in 2010? He was, he was an absolutely Peerless. massive part of that just before Jose Mourinho started to take his <laughs> career to, 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 to bits. But I think the interesting thing to, to, to me as well is that obviously it's not been so widely reported because he's been in Portugal, but how he's kind of um, rebuilt the bottom end of his reputation 
in, in, in Portugal because I think a lot of people think, well, well he's just going there to, to retire. But it's, it's clear that the fire never really went out there. I mean, for the first year, year and a half, like people looked at him as everything that was wrong with Porto because he was brought in as the most highly paid player in the history of the club. And people were like, well, Porto doesn't do this. You, you're meant to buy mm. young players and you know, build them up and sell and them on for huge profits. <laughs> yeah, ex- ex- exactly. It's not the, That's what we come to football. Ex- exactly. <laughs> and um, he ended up there because of his relationship with Julian Lopetegui, who'd been his, his, his goalkeeping coach for the Spanish national team. And, you know, he made he made one or two um, errors that like people made a big song and dance over. And, you know, you're always putting yourself in an invidious position if you're someone like him going to a league like that because there are only probably four games of the league season against Benfica and Sporting in which people are going to actually judge yeah. your performances. And the rest, you know, you might as well be standing there smoking a cigar for all any, 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 anyone really cares. And the, the fact that he put himself out there in a situation where it was so easy for him to fail and to be held up as a symbol of failure, and he received a lot of criticism early on uh, for his pay, for the politics of the club, which were nothing to do with him. And yet he came back and performed brilliantly in all the big matches. Like you think, I think of a couple of classicos against Benfica where he was the outstanding player. And the fact that he built that reputation, the fact that he's loved so much at, at Porto, and when they won um, the cup to complete the double last weekend, it was him who was on the pitch to co-lift the trophy as well. They mm-hmm. invited him along because he's still he's still part of it. You know, he really touched people there. Um, you know, they really feel he's, he's he's someone very special. And obviously, he's going back and, and working with Real Madrid now. And it wouldn't surprise me if he was a Real Madrid lifer, but. If he wanted to go back to Porto in some sort of admin capacity, they would have him in a flash. There's no doubt about that. You know, he's someone who's as important off the pitch as he is on it. Yeah, you talk about that trophy lift after winning the Portuguese Cup with Porto just last week against Benfica. That's just one of a few trophy lifts that we've already mentioned. When you look at his kind of catalogue of photos, Pete, of Mm. all these different trophy lifts. The conga lines. (laughs) <laughs> just amazing an absolute legend of the game and you know you're a legend when you then receive plaudits from Messi mm. uh, there's a lovely statement that Messi said he said you're a spectacular goalkeeper and it was really hard to have you as an opponent but looking back I also think that it was a pretty nice rivalry that made us have to outdo ourselves every time we faced each other when you hear the greats of the game <laughs> talk about each other like that it's just amazing, yeah. isn't he it? said he said the status of a, a, of a legend uh, uh, as a legend of the game was secured long ago that was the only bit I actually read I was like that's a bit damning with Finn Prince isn't it <laughs> <laughs> look he was a legend long ago let's not talk about him now. <laughs> Not enough of talking about him. Um, (laughs) Really, you could argue he was like the the Messi of goalkeepers in a way. I I Mm. mean, I I know people will look at a few errors like the 2014 Champions League final and it tends to be the last impressions rather than first impressions last when it comes to football players. But you can forget how incredible he was. The fact that he was was not um, sort of so physically imposing as like a Schmeichel or a Buffon, but so incredibly dexterous mm. I, I think that's that's something that that marked him out for me he's he's one of the very best and you know he's held, held in such esteem in spain that like if you did a i mean we joked about it a couple of weeks ago if you did a polling marker to say who should be the starting goalkeeper for the national <laughs> team there's still like 60 percent of people who would vote for him there's, there's no <laughs> doubt about it but if you can hear that sound in the background it's jose Mourinho 
rowing back mm-hmm. furiously. <laughs> after he says, look, I know we had a, our problems, but basically, I don't want to look like a dreadful person. Yeah. So uh, let's let's meet up and have a little chat sometime. Because <laughs> is going, yeah, I look forward to gritting my teeth while I shake your hand at a UEFA event. Where does he rank, Andy, for you in terms of best goalkeepers of his generation? Is he Is he up there? Yeah, it's close. I mean, uh, same generation as, as as Buffon, of course. And I think because Buffon carried on with Juventus for so many years, he tends to he tends to get the nod. Very different styles of goalkeeper, but Casillas a big match goalkeeper, no would doubt. You, about would you it. say he's a more modern kind of um, facilitation of what a goalkeeper represents, rather than yeah, Buffon? May, maybe because I think one of the things actually that that sort of marked his his, his downfall is the fact that he moved away from being strong on crosses mm. he, he wasn't really one of those those goalkeepers and actually people criticised as he kind of changed his style to yeah. a more punching style um, I, th- I think the problem actually one of the reasonable problems that Mourinho had with him is, is that he wasn't dominant enough really right. in, 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 in some ways so maybe the fact that he tried to evolve and change it sort of affects the way we we look at him but like I said I think the fact that he regenerated himself in those final years especially in an environment where you can't make any mistakes you can't give points away in the Portuguese league or you're not going to win it mm. basically and he, he went on to to, to to reinvent himself and become really important in those last couple of years and he um, posted a picture on his Instagram page just to summarise in one statement and one photo of what his career means to him. And this is what he wrote. Uh, The important thing is the path you travel and the people who accompany you, not the destination to which it takes you. I think I can say without hesitation that it has been the path and the dream destination. Oh, Jules. Like it. It's emotional, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. Got a tear there. Yes, 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 I have. (laughs) Did he he couple that with a background of sunset in the Instagram, it's actually a really post. arty picture of him leaving the stadium. Oh, imagine! If he, imagine if he messed it up. It was like he said, uh, uh, "Jorge uh, Campos doing an overhead kick." He'd be like, "Why have you? Done, you posted the wrong picture, Ike. You absolutely muffed this right up, mate. You, you got to give it. You got to give it to the right team, mate. You know. I mean, uh, imagine you. You know, you pass it to Alex Telles, and uh, he's like, "Oh, sorry, Ike. I've just taken your feet." <laughs> um, boys, that's it for today. Uh, Andy, you're back tomorrow. You're going to be yes. previewing. The Champions League return. Yes. Man City, Real Madrid tomorrow night. Oh, the excitement. No Sergio Ramos, though. <laughs> I know. And I'm going to be at the Etihad for that. Really? I'm very excited. Oh, to go to a European game. Are you going to be a couple of seats away from Sergio Ramos? Because, of course, the last time... I will make sure I am. The last time he was in the crowd at a Champions League knockout game, he was having a documentary done, wasn't he? Because they'd, <gasps> they'd, 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 they'd won away at Ajax. And he got booked right at the end, thinking, "Oh yeah, I'll just take the second leg off," <laughs> which of course they ended up getting hammered in. And it was oh it God. was part of his it was part of his Amazon documentary, wasn't it? Oh, well, of him going, "Oh, this thing goes with all." It wouldn't be the first time I've uh, photo bombed a football documentary. I was hmm. actually in the back of a shot of the Barcelona one. Yeah, yes! really, literally, so awkwardly. I was just doing a pitch side here, one of these Champions League games. So we've tolerated Vish giving it the big one that he's in the Spurs <laughs> one when you were in the Barcelona <laughs> one. I've never I mean, mentioned come on. it. I've never mentioned it before but yeah I'll try and get in the back shot of that if I can 
Do something weird, like smoke a big cigar or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, get a hooker pipe out. Because of the uh... just, just a, a, an arm of meat, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just play your normal game, Jules. Yeah. Play your normal game. I'm going to have to stop on the services on the way up there and try and find something <laughs> just, as close to it just as Just pile into a field and sacrifice <laughs> yeah, an well, animal. Welcome Breaker, well known for their whole roasts. <laughs> Um, Jules, um, by the way, last time us, uh, we worked together, you were complaining that your water bottle tasted of curry. You have a different water bottle yeah. today. Have you sacrificed said water bottle? Is it in the bin? No, but I've right. washed it a lot of times. S- does it still? No, it actually doesn't taste of curry anymore. Oh, but I tell you what happened is um, this is the world we're living in now because mm. like I'm not really going into coffee shops and stuff at the moment. Mm. My mug, my travel mug that's meant to be watertight. It's not watertight, guys. Lethal. So uh, the other day, I got tea all over me <laughs> in the car. So I ended up throwing that mug, not out the window. I really wanted to. <laughs> it makes it sound really like in anger. Um, it's like, fuck you. <laughs> a closed window. That's like, made it worse. It's a cyclist. So the, the, the curry water bottle is now my tea mug. Right. And this one is now my water, water bottle. bottle. Lovely. Clever, eh? Nice. Clever. Well, you wouldn't mind a bit of curry in your tea. It Ooh, works. No. It works. No thanks. Yeah. No thanks. Very flavoursome. Lap, um, a bit of lapsang. <laughs> Pete, <laughs> have spice. a good day, mate. Uh, Marcus and Luke and Andy will be here tomorrow for another ramble. See you soon. This was a Stakhanov production.